Well, let's join together in reading and reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And then our scriptures for today, and Pastor Dave, I've got to ask you here, um, I'm gathering, because we've got three different passages, and I'm gathering the first two, we've got to connect the name, okay, and then uh, from there you're going to tie the name to the last scripture, I gather. Oh, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out here pretty soon. <laughs> I figure it out. <laughs> well, so you're going to see a common name here, and as I look over this crowd, obviously everyone here smart enough to come in out of the rain this morning, so we got a good crew. So uh, let's start with, uh, first of all, with Luke uh, verse 6, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse uh, 15. And uh, we'll be reading some names, so we're going to look for a common name here. Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot. And then we move to Mark 15, verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And then our final scripture, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you, Al. But uh, you've heard me say this cliche, Lord, make me a nobody who can tell everybody about that somebody who can save anybody. This is Father's Day. And I was going to put a big guilt trip on all the fathers, you know, and I was going to, you know, preach on train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, Proverbs 22, 6. And I was going to talk about how a lot of times we spend more time training our dogs than we do our children. I was going to talk about fatherlessness and absentee fathers and disengaged fathers and how that's one of the reasons our world is in such a mess. We are losing our children and the next generation. And I was going to wave some red flags. I was going to say we need to wave red flags of liberalism in religion. We've got away from the Bible. And humanism in education. And paganism in society, and materialism in the home. But I decided not to do that. So, just take it easy on you guys a little bit here. You know where I stand and all that stuff. Uh, I want to learn from the 12 men whom Jesus called to come after him and become his disciples. Now, sometimes they were called disciples, and sometimes they were called apostles, and that word disciple, it means learner. Learner. 
And the word apostle, it means one who is sent forth. And that's what they were. And they followed Jesus for what? About three and a half years, listening to him, learning from him. And then at the end of his ministry here on earth, he sent them out to teach others what he had taught them. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, therefore, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Notice he didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. And there's three participles, right? Main verb is make disciples. You've heard me preach on this. You know, as you go, as you baptize, as you teach, make disciples. And by the way, that's still the way it's supposed to work today. Sure, there's a time when you, when you soak up, but there's also a time when you need to be sent forth. There's a time when you need to learn, but there's also a time when you need to teach. You see, if you've been saved for 20 years and you're still in kindergarten as a Christian, there's a big problem with your spiritual growth. Just like a little child needs to grow and learn, and then one day, hopefully, prayerfully, go out to start their own family, you need to grow and learn of the things of God. And then you can go there, out there, and just tell people about Jesus and see them born into the kingdom of God. We need to be a walking, talking sound and light production. Show and tell the gospel, salt and light. Now, this group that Jesus called to come after him and to learn from him wasn't the you know, typical uh, type of group. And, uh, and you know, it wasn't like a typical rabbi or teacher um, that called them. And so this group that Jesus called to come after him wasn't the typical group that a typical rabbi or a teacher would take on if he wanted to change the world. I mean... You'd think that he'd have tried to pick out some disciples that had at least given him a little bit of a head start or allowed him just to kind of, you know, break even a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, he, you know, here's, here's the thing you, you've, you've got to remember. This wasn't like your typical rabbi. This wasn't like your typical teacher. This was the son of God. And Jesus knew that if he picked the smartest or the most successful or those with the greatest abilities, then the world could say, oh, anybody could do what he's doing with disciples like that. So Jesus went out and Jesus called out those that nobody else would have wanted. I mean, those who everybody else would have passed over. And these were men that... Anybody and everybody else would have said, you know, no thanks, but no thanks. You know, I don't want them. They were what we would have called growing up, you know, the B team or the scrubs. I mean, we talk about these being ordinary men. Hey, can I tell you something? That's being nice. You've got a bunch of fishermen, and everybody knows you can't trust fishermen, right? I mean, where do you think we get the phrase big fish story from? You know, you've got a tax collector. Enough said. And then you've got a bunch of nobodies from nowhere, and the only one out of the whole bunch who had any potential at all from like a worldly point of view ended up selling his master out for 30 pieces of silver, and yet Jesus calls them, and he pours his life into them, and then he sends them out totally to totally transform the world. Hey, can I answer the $24,000 question that you're all asking in your head? Well, why did Jesus choose such a motley crowd? You know, why did he do that? Well, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you 
were wise by human standards. Not many of you influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Or one version says that no flesh should glory in his presence. And then verse 31, therefore as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So why did Jesus choose such a motley crowd? So that God gets the glory. That's why. You see, from that day until now, when you look at what Jesus did uh, in these men and through these men, there's only one thing that you can say. It's all God. I mean, it's not ability. It's not personality. It's not heredity. It's not popularity. It's all God. And perhaps that was not more true in the life of any of the other disciples than in the man that I want to talk about this morning. I mean, you look at Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. And when it was day, he called to himself disciples. And from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. Andrew, his brother. James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. And then over in Mark 15, 40, that Al already read, there was also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Josies, and Salome. You know, if you want to know what we know about this man by the name of James, you pretty much just heard it. We know that he was the son of a man by the name of Alphaeus, and a woman by the name of Mary. And since that's true, most likely he was the brother of the disciple of Matthew and some well-known believer named Joseph. And that's really all that we know about his background or his family. He could have been a cousin of Jesus, but we don't have time to get into that today. As a matter of fact, the only real insight that we get into who he was as an individual comes from the title or the nickname that he's given in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, where he's called James the Less. Now, just so you don't get this James mixed up with all the other Jameses in the Bible, let me tell you who he wasn't. This wasn't James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, you know, one of the sons of thunder. And this wasn't James, the half-brother of Jesus, and this wasn't James the father of Judas, not Iscariot, as the Bible calls him. This was James, the son of Alphaeus, who is known as James the Less. And really, you know, there never has been a title that was probably more accurate about a man's person or a man's position than this telling title that was given to this man by the name of James the Less. Now, even though scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about him, if you just, you know, hold your place. You know, maybe in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, and if you just took a pen and you would circle that little word less and follow along with me for a few moments this morning, I believe that there are a few really encouraging things that you may discover about this man named James. Three insights gleaned from the name James the less. So insight number one, the inherent meaning of his name. What does that word less mean? I know it seems like a simple question, but really there's a lot rolled up into this tiny little word, less. You see, the word less there is really the the Greek word mikros. 
And in a general, generic sense, it simply means little or technically very, very little. (laughs) Now, we use this little word all the time. No pun intended, right? But I'm afraid that a lot of times we don't stop to really think about what it means. By the way, that's the way it is with a lot of so-called little things, isn't it? I mean, we, we look over them. Uh, we, we pass by them, we neglect them. Sometimes those little things can be the very things that either make or break us. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says it's the, the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. I always say that Mary married me for my brains and not my good looks. She says it's the little things that count. And it really is. It's not the hot car or the new tractor or it's not the big fancy house and it's not a Caribbean cruise. It is the little things that count in a marriage and in life. But we use this word micros all the time. You know, in school you may have studied, you know, microbiology, right? You may have even used a microscope. Uh, If you work in a machine shop or a garage, they maybe use a micrometer or a a micrometer. And if you're into finances, you probably talked about microeconomics. And of course, we've all heard of Microsoft, right? But you see, we use this word all the time. But most of the time, we never stop to think about what this word means. Now, this word micros is used elsewhere in Scripture. For example... If you're looking on your outline, in Mark 9.42, this word micros is used, letter A, younger. It's used uh, to mean younger. Jesus said, but whoever causes one of these little ones, these, these younger ones, these micros ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. I mean, even in the NIV, James the Younger, it says. It says, James the Younger. In Mark 15, 40. So micros can mean younger. And then in Matthew 13, 31 to 32, this word micros is used to mean, letter B, smaller. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which is indeed the, the least of all the seeds or the the micros among all the seeds, or the smaller among all the seeds. But when it's grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So younger, smaller, and then letter C, uh, weaker. In Revelation 3.8, this word micros is used to mean weaker. And the glorified Lord said in Revelation 3.8, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. You have Little strength. You have micros strength. You have weaker strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. So younger, smaller, weaker. And then in Matthew 18, 2 to 3, micros is used to describe those who have less influence or less status. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as micros children... Little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about it. I mean, what has less influence? What has less status than a little child? They can't determine when they go to bed they, or, or what, they, what, what they are to wear to school or what they should eat for dinner or anything. 
So that's what the, the word means. It means younger, it means smaller, it means weaker. It means a person who has less influence, less status. And so that brings us to not only the inherent meaning of his name. Insight number two, the implied message of his name. You see, all of those things that we just talked about, the inherent meaning of the word most likely tell us a lot about this man. Think about it. He was probably um, younger. I mean, do you remember that I told you they had two brothers, one named Matthew, the other named Joseph? Well, if you take what his name means, then this was probably, you know, little James. He was probably the baby of the family. So younger and then smaller Uh, Herbert Lockyer says that a good way to translate his name is James the Little. I mean, maybe he was on the short side. You know, maybe he was just uh, a lot like Zacchaeus. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of Bible scholars who say that since his brother was a tax collector, there's a good chance that he could have been too. Uh, That would have given him more in common with Zacchaeus than just the fact that he was like, you know, vertically challenged. And so, yeah, younger, smaller, and then letter C, weaker. I mean, if you put these first two things together, then it's easy to see that compared to you know, the older and the bigger boys around him, that he could have been weaker. And then lastly, when you put all those things together, we're probably talking about a man who had D, less influence. He had less status. I mean, as a matter of fact, let me show you something I think is really telling about his position in the way the gospel writers describe Uh, the 12. And again, let's start with Matthew 10, verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the text collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And then in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, then he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach to have power over sicknesses and to cast out demons. And Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangeres, that is, sons of thunder, and then Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And then if you look at Luke 6, 13, it says, when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And then finally, Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room and they were uh, where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. So, you see, whenever and wherever these men, these 12 men are listed, James the less is always in the last group, right before the traitor hanging out with a fanatic named Simon the Zealot and a guy with three names called Judas Labius Thaddeus. You see, he wasn't last, but he was the less. So 
There's the inherent meaning of his name. There's the implied message of his name. And then last but not least, thirdly, insight number three, uh, and this is where the message is. So if you haven't listened so far, you know, turn on your hearing aids. <laughs> That's starting to become a reality with me. I'm always leaning in. What? You know, it's like, okay. Mary says, you need to go to the ear doctor. I go, no, I don't. I can hear just fine. So anyway, the important motivation of his name. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if at the end of your life on this planet, the only specific mention about you was your first name? I mean, nobody knew when you were born, where you were from, what you had done, how you had died. The only thing that they knew about you was that at about this point in history, there was a person named, you know, John or Joe or Sally or Susan. I mean, how would that make you feel? Well, that's what happened to James. I mean, even Judas, not Iscariot, as I've already mentioned, had like three names. No wonder John MacArthur calls James not the less or the younger, but he calls James the obscure disciple. We're not told about his birth. We're not told about his accomplishments. We're not even told about his death. Unlike most of the other disciples, history can't even agree you know, with how he died. Some accounts say that he was stoned. Others say that he was beaten to death. And still others say that he was crucified like Jesus. And yet here he is. He's listed with a group of men that the Bible says turn the world upside down. And do you know what that teaches me? It teaches me, first of all, A, little is much when God is in it. And do you know how many times the word big is used in the Bible? Zero. Do you know how many times the word little is used in the Bible? Almost 250. And when you put it together with the word small, it's used over 350 times. That ought to tell you something. What we think about being big and what the Lord thinks about being big are two entirely different things. And God in his greatness and God in his sovereignty and God in his wisdom, the Bible says, has chosen to use the insignificant things, the small things, the little things, the lesser things of this world to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. You know, those little things. You know, if you got a rose, why don't you give it now? It could be that word of appreciation. It could be a kiss of affection. It could be just simply a note of encouragement. It could be a smile. It could be a handshake of respect. It could be a friendly phone call. It could be a cup of cold water. It could be like a few people on a mission trip. It could be like for carrying the flower, caring for the flowers uh, to beautify the church or pulling out weeds. It could be helping with Awana. It could be smiling at a child. It could be, you know, volunteering for VBS. It could be doing stuff that nobody knows about. It could be serving food at a local mission. You could probably add a lot to that list. And you say, well, pastor, I can only give a little bit. I can only serve a little, or I can only teach a little, or witness a little. Hey, little is much when God is in it. I mean, take this whole matter of giving. 
Did you know that there's a story in the Bible about a widow woman in Mark chapter 12 who came and she gave just two pennies to God, two pennies, while those around her probably gave hundreds and thousands of dollars. And do you know what Jesus said? He said, I'm telling you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Little is much when God is in it. You know, every week when you put that little tithe or or that offering in the box on the way out of church, you might think, well, it's so little, but if you have given what God has told you to give, that 10% off the top, and if you've given how, how God has told you to give it out of a cheerful and a willing, trusting heart to where he has told you to give it to the local church, God says, I can use it to do so much. You say, Pastor, I can only serve a little bit. I don't have the ability to teach a class. I don't have the experience to serve on a committee or a ministry team. I don't have the boldness to come up to a complete stranger and tell them about Jesus Christ. All I can do is like welcome people into the church. Do you know what David said about that in the Psalms? He said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. So what's wrong with being a doorkeeper? And I could go on and on, but the point is, little as much when, is when, uh, when, when God is in it. There's an old gospel song, little as much when, when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a prize, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Matthew 10, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Little as much when God is in it. And last but not least, B on the outline Unrecognized does not mean unrewarded. Unrecognized does not mean unrewarded. Yeah, we should appreciate each other. We should recognize each other. But unrecognized does not mean unrewarded. Turn over real quickly to Revelation chapter 21 verse 14. And read what it says. It says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Did you get that? Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Though James, he was small and he was young and he was a quiet person who stayed mostly in the background, he sought no recognition. He displayed no great leadership. He asked no critical questions. He demonstrated no unusual insight, and yet James the Less was chosen by Jesus. And James the Less was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and James the Less was used to carry the gospel to the world, and the world remembers next to nothing about him. But in eternity, he will receive a full reward. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Didn't John the Baptist say, I must decrease, he must increase. You put your life into the master's hands, and you just watch what he does and how he gets the glory. Little is much when God is in it.
So it's really not about Dave or Henry or about you or your neighbor. It's about the Lord and how great he is and how he can work through fallible people like me and you. And all we have to do is say, here I am, Lord. And we're going to sing that hymn. And if you, you might as well grab a hymn book since we put them back in the pews. Or the words will be on the screen. Here I am, Lord. And uh, I've done this probably three other times in the last 25 years where I've had you ask the Lord right now if you want to make a public commitment to serving him in some way. And you might come up here and say, I don't know, I'm just willing. Well, write your name on the sheet and just say, I'm available. It might be to a specific ministry or service. It might be, you know, I really feel called to work with some of the rescue missions in town, or I really feel called to pull weeds out in front of the church, or I really feel called to help with VBS, or I really feel called to lead a small group in my home, or I really feel called, whatever it is that you are sensing God's calling on your life, come up here, sign your name, and that kind of makes it official. It's like, oh, I signed my name, you know. You're not trapped, but you know, it might be, like I said, it's just like, here I am, Lord, I'm available. I'm your available servant. And I'm going to take these sheets and I'm going to give them to Pastor Henry. And he's going to feel so blessed to have some people that are already on board with serving the Lord with him. Not so you get glory or he gets glory, but so that the Lord gets glory because he can use anybody. James the less. Think about that. Let's stand and sing to him. And you know, there's only three verses. So you come on down and sign the thing if God is calling. So the invitation is open. Lord, make me a nobody who can tell everybody about that somebody who can save anybody. Amen.